Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. It is so great to be with you again. My name is Jeff, and I am the lead pastor here at Renaissance. I want to just begin by just saying thank you to everyone who's been tuning in online and coming into the room here every Sunday to meet with us when we do our in-person gatherings. It's been great, as my wife mentioned last week, to see everyone, all the faces that we're familiar with, and to be with you once again. And I just, again, want to encourage those of you who are watching at home that if you don't feel comfortable and ready to come back for whatever reason, you are not going to find judgment from us. We are happy that you're still tuning in and that you're able to engage online. We put a lot of work into all of this and we're just happy that you're taking advantage of that. And whenever, right? And hear me when I say that, whenever you feel comfortable and wanna return back here to church, we can't wait to see you. So last week, we began a series, a three-week series that I'm calling Heart Rate. And I'm talking about living our Christian lives as God has given us a new heart that beats inside of us, right? He's taken out the, the stony, sinful heart, and he's given us a new heart through the work of his son, Jesus. As we look to uh, exercise and work with our new hearts, we're trying to pay attention to how our heart beats spiritually for the things of God. Last week, we talked about how when God gives us this new heart, it should affect the things we are drawn towards, our affections and our passions and all of the motivations in our hearts. And I told the story of how I've been running lately and trying to maintain a certain heart rate during my runs. I'm not trying to go fast. I'm not trying to go long. I'm just trying to maintain a certain sweet spot of my heart rate because most trainers and physicians believe that extended periods of time with your heart beating at a certain heart rate that's a little elevated than normal resting heart rate, you're going to produce the most benefit for your life. And so I've been training, trying to keep my heart rate when I run in this certain sweet spot or uh, range, if you will. And I likened that sort of training to live, to living the Christian life as believers, as God has given us this new heart, that we should pay attention to what our heart is thinking about. We should pay attention to what our heart is motivated by. What are the passions and the affections, if you will, in our hearts? And so last week I talked about how we can see um, indicators that would tell us that our heart is maybe in the wrong spot. And we talked about unforgiveness. That if we are followers of Jesus, the one who has forgiven all of us for everything we've ever done, then we too must be people that forgive other people. But if we have unforgiveness in our hearts, that would be an indicator to us that maybe our heart's not beating with the heart of God right now. Maybe we're acting in a way that's more selfish or sinful or whatever. So we use that example of unforgiveness to point to the ultimate reality that we might not have the right motives in our lives. Um, This week when I was running into the office, I was uh, running in my heart rate zone. And just so you know this, to keep my heart rate in that special zone, 
I have to run very, very slow. In fact, if you were to see me going down the sidewalk in town, it would appear that I'm just doing a brisk walk, maybe. And it's, to be honest with you, it's kind of embarrassing. When I was running into the office this week, um, cars are passing me and I can just picture, right, the things they're saying about me. Gosh, look at that, that middle-aged chubby guy. Doesn't he know he's gonna need to run faster if he ever wants to lose weight? Doesn't he know that's not gonna produce the results that he's looking for or anything? But what I, what I came to realize this week is that no matter what people out there think about the things that we're doing, right? No matter what those people think about how I should be running, I know where my heart rate is supposed to be. I know what my heart is supposed to be doing. And so I have to learn to dismiss the thoughts of other people. All that to say this, that when you and I have been called to forgive people, there's going to be people outside looking at us going, well, don't they know that's not how you're supposed to do it? Don't they know that person has actually wronged you and you have the right to, to not forgive them? But we know the heart we know what God wants from us in our hearts. And so we, we are going to be doing things that the world out there is going to look at and say, man, they're doing it wrong. They don't understand how to do this, but we know something that they don't. God has called us to do something different. So that being said, I want to talk this week about another indicator in our lives that could point to this reality that maybe our hearts are in the wrong place. It's the issue of anger. Anger, yes, everybody's favorite topic. In fact, even as I bring it up right now, some of you are getting mad at me, ha ha, right? But we have to talk about anger because we all deal with anger. Some of us in the room have a very short fuse when it comes to anger. You know what I'm talking about, to use that metaphor of like a piece of, or a stick of dynamite, right? That has a very short fuse. Once you light it, it's not long before that thing just blasts, blows up. Other people have a very long fuse, and it's those people I'm quite jealous of, to be honest with you, how it seems to be over time, they have to get uh, offended, abused, offended, abused before they finally blow up, if you will. We know this, whether a person has a long fuse or a short fuse, you and I all deal with anger in our lives. And so today I want to talk about anger. I want to talk about some of the things that maybe cause us to be angry. Maybe some of the, 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 the reasons why we're angry. How about some of the results of what happens when we become angry? And, and maybe most importantly, we can answer this question. Is it okay as Christians to get angry? I mean, right, we say that we follow Jesus. Can we, can we as Christians say that we get angry? Some of you right now are already thinking, wait, didn't, didn't Jesus himself get angry? Yes, he did. And I'll get to that in, in a moment. But really the, the, the issue we have to deal with is not whether or not we get angry. It's, it's really what do we do when we become angry. So, so let's first talk about a couple of reasons why we might get angry. The Bible is replete with stories and anecdotes on what anger looks like, how people got angry in the Old Testament and the New Testament, how they responded to their anger, how God viewed their anger and his opinion of it. There's all kinds of stories in the scriptures about that. And I'm going to come up with a few and just talk to you about what some of the causes of anger might be in our life. And in the 
Gospels, there's a story of two brothers, uh, two brothers. One, we, we call the story the, the story of the prodigal son, the, the one son who, who goes away from the father, spends all of his inheritance and ends up coming back. And the father who thought his son was dead and is now alive throws this huge lavish party but because the younger son has returned. And the older son was angry that the, that the father threw a party for the son that basically blew his inheritance. Um, the reason the older brother was angry is because he was jealous. To be honest, jealousy is a, a real reason why a lot of people become angry. We don't like what other people get. We think we should have the right to have those things. And, and when other people have things that we don't, we become jealous and that drives oftentimes our anger. There's another reason why many of us become angry as well. It's because we are prideful. In the Old Testament, there's the story of a man, Jonah. Maybe you know this story because you've been talking to your children, maybe at bedtime, about the story of Jonah and the whale, right? But not to reduce this to some fairy tale, fictional account of a man who's swallowed by a fish or a whale, but Jonah's a real person who really lived and had a real call from God. And the call from God was this, that he wanted Jonah to go to a city called Nineveh and to tell those people to stop acting the way they were acting. Because if they didn't, God was going to send judgment to them. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh and tell those people to stop acting that way because quite frankly, he wanted God to judge those people because Jonah did not like those people. Long story short, short, Jonah eventually goes to Nineveh, tells those people to stop acting that way, and they stop. And because of that, God relented and he did not send judgment. And because of that, Jonah was angry. The Bible tells us Jonah was angry at God because God did not punish them. <laughs> Can you believe that? See, Jonah was acting prideful. Somehow he thought his people and people like him were better than those people. And oftentimes pride can cause us to become angry. And if it's not jealousy or pride, it's sometimes the truth. Again, the stories are replete in the Bible. I could tell you many times people got angry because somebody told them something that was true, but we don't need to look at the Bible to, to understand this, do we? I mean, how many of us have been told something by maybe a best friend, a coworker, a boss, <laughs> or even yet a spouse? And the thing that they're telling you is true and it makes you mad to hear it. Anger is an issue that all of us have to deal with. And if people were to ask us why we're angry, we're quick to tell them why, and maybe even why they should be angry as well. There's a 16th century bishop whose name was Francis de Sales, and he said this, that there was never an angry man that thought his anger unjust, that all of us believe we have the right to be angry. And to be honest, whatever reason is driving us towards anger, there is oftentimes um, a real justification for our anger. Sometimes our, our anger is rightly placed. Just by way of example, we can look at the world around us and we can look at how children are oftentimes exploited and trafficked around the world. Those are things that should make us angry. 
Sometimes our anger is just, wouldn't you agree? In fact, there's a story I want to share with you in the Bible about Jesus. Earlier, we talked about Jesus being angry at some point. And if he was angry, can't we at least be angry? I think the answer is yes to that. But let's see how Jesus got angry and what drove him to that. The, the story is found in Mark chapter three. And the backstory is this. Jesus is going into the synagogue on one of the Sabbaths. And he's going in there um, to see if there's anyone that he can preach to, anyone that he could heal, for example. And the Pharisees or the religious leaders are in the synagogue and they're watching Jesus closely because they want to trap him. They want to find some reason to accuse him of breaking God's laws on the Sabbath. So verse one of chapter three, it says that Jesus entered the synagogue and he found a man there with a withered hand. And they, the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath because they wanted to accuse him. The Jewish people believed that they were not allowed to work on the Sabbath and healing in their minds was working and they were going to catch Jesus healing this person or working on the Sabbath and accuse him of breaking God's law. So Jesus says to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or kill, but they were silent. Jesus is asking the Pharisees, is it okay to do good? Is it okay to save a life? Is it okay to do some things? And they were silent. And verse five, it says, and Jesus looked around at them with anger and he was grieved at the hardness of their heart. And so he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand and it was restored. See, Jesus was uh, justified in his anger because of the hardness of the Pharisees' hearts. It harkens back to the the story of us getting new hearts. There is a, a heart that beat inside of us before Jesus that was stony and hard, and it didn't have the affections of God. It didn't have the passions of God. And Jesus, when he looked at the Pharisees, it angered him that their hearts were so hard. If only they were to understand the ways of God, they could be changed. Their actions could be changed so that people would benefit. People like this man with the withered hand could benefit from the work that Jesus had done. So there's reasons why we become angry. Some of them are justified. Some of them are not. But the results of anger is really where we need to spend some time talking about um, the issue of anger now. Oftentimes, anger causes things in our life. It causes um, conflict sometimes and strife. There's a proverb. Proverbs are these little wisdom nuggets that you can read in your Old Testament. In Proverbs chapter 30, it says this. It says that when milk is pressed, it becomes curds or cheese. Everybody say, yay, cheese, (laughs) right? So when milk is pressed, it becomes curds. When the nose is pressed, it bleeds. But it says when anger is pressed, it becomes strife. And strife is not a word that we use in our everyday language, but what that means is it just means more conflict and catastrophe follows us. When our anger moves us in such a way, it can actually cause our lives to become more difficult. You in the room, many of us already know this to be true. How many times have we acted in such a way because of our anger and things got worse for us? This is the athlete on the, in, the, in the sporting event who disagrees with the call the referee made or didn't make and then finds themselves ejected from the game because of the way they acted. 
This is the student in the classroom who becomes angry with the teacher and how he's disciplined them. And they find themselves sitting in the principal's office, right? More calamity, more strife, more conflict. And now they have themselves after school detentions. This is the person who finds themselves getting fired at their job because they got angry at their boss and acted out because of it. That anger can produce strife and conflict in our lives and can actually drive us to sin, King David, the the greatest king the nation of Israel had ever known, a man many could argue had an issue with sin and anger. (laughs) He he wrote a song once. We call it Psalm 4. In Psalm 4, verse 4, King David says these words, Be angry and do not sin. See, the, the issue is this, is that you and I are going to have to learn to navigate what anger looks like in our lives. We're going to constantly have opportunities when the emotion of anger overtakes us. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Because there is a way to be angry, much like Jesus was, and still not sin. The Bible has a lot to say about sin. The Bible has a lot to say about anger and how it drives us to sin. I want to read a story from the Old Testament book of Genesis. Genesis um, is the story of beginnings. In fact, that's what Genesis means. The word Genesis means the beginnings. And the story is this. It's the story between two brothers. There's an older brother, Cain, and Cain is a worker of the ground, the Bible tells us. And his younger brother, Abel, is a keeper of the sheep. Cain's an organic farmer, basically. He's planting crops, he's harvesting crops, and and his brother Abel keeps the sheep. He's into livestock, and and surely they had relationship with one another, um, of course, and they had relationship with God. And the story opens up where Cain and Abel brought offerings to God one day. Starting here in chapter 4, verse 3, we read this. In the course of time... Right At some appointed day, we don't know when, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit from the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So we know some things because we're getting some information in the story, but a lot of things we don't know. We have to surmise that at some point God had instructed both Abel and Cain that to bring an offering to him was required. So God has explained this to them and they knew what they were supposed to do. And at some point they decide to bring those offerings to God. Now we don't know what exactly God was asking of them, but we can at least believe this. They knew what God wanted, right? So they come before God, they bring their offerings and Cain brings what he's known to bring. He works at the ground. So he brings some produce from the ground and Abel works with sheep. So he sacrifices a sheep, if you will. And he brings some of that to the Lord. But it says here at the end of verse four that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Verse five says, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Over the years, centuries, millennia, actually, people have argued about that passage. What was wrong with Cain's offering? 
What was wrong with Cain's heart when he offered it? What was the reason God wouldn't accept Cain and his offering? To be very honest, we don't know. Some people believe it was because Cain did not bring a sacrifice of an animal. He only brought fruit or produce from the ground. And I I don't know if I can believe that one because in the book of Leviticus, not to bore you with this, but in the book of Leviticus, where God instructs his people how to make offerings to him, he gives them instructions on how to bring grain offerings to him, how to bring produce offerings, if you will, before him. So I don't know if it's because Cain didn't bring a sacrifice of an animal. We just don't know what it was. In the book of Hebrews, for example, we we learn that Abel's offering was brought to God in faith. Whatever that was. That's what the writer of Hebrews says, that Abel's offering was brought to God in faith, which by implication means that Cain's wasn't brought to God by faith. So maybe it was more of a heart issue. It's like maybe Cain was the first person to ever uh, play church, if you will. You know what I mean by play church. It's those people who, who go to church because it's the thing you do every Sunday. It's the thing you do, right? I'm, I'm going to read my Bible because that's the thing I'm supposed to do. I'm going to go to church because that's what we're supposed to do. I'm going to bring an offering to God because that's what I'm supposed to do. But his heart wasn't actually in it. Is that what Cain was doing? We don't know. We don't know. But we do know at some point God intervened. At some point God came to Cain and called him on what had happened. Look here in verse 6. But the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Gordon Fee in his commentary on this passage said this, that when Cain became so angry, God came to him and helped him recognize what had made his sacrifice unacceptable. The Lord comes to him. Look again in verse six. Why are you angry? Like, you know, this wasn't going to work. Whatever it was, maybe it was his heart issue. Maybe he brought the wrong stuff. We don't know, but God did. And he came to Cain. He says, why are you angry? You knew this was going to happen. This is, uh, this is akin to teenagers who, who get upset when they come home a half an hour after curfew and find themselves grounded. Not that I'm speaking from experience, wink, wink, if you know what I mean. And I, I, I look to my daughters and I go, why are you angry? You, you knew what was going to happen. Why are you upset with me? Again, it's when you don't do something that maybe your employer had asked you to do and you find yourself unemployed because of it. And you get angry? Really? Why are you angry? You knew what you were supposed to do and didn't do it. Gordon Fee continues, not only did God come to Cain and help him see what had made his offering unacceptable, whatever it was, they had that conversation. But he also told him what he should do to correct the situation. And this is where it gets important for us. As I mentioned earlier, we are going to face anger in our lives. That's not the problem. The problem is what we do with it. And God looks to Cain and he asks him the question, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Verse seven, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do well, will you not be accepted? He's saying you have an opportunity to change here. In the church, we call this repentance. Repentance is just a a churchy way of saying, turn around. Stop doing what you're doing and do something else. This is the story of Jonah and Nineveh. God wanted Jonah to tell Nineveh to repent, to stop doing that and turn to God. God comes to Cain and says, 
you know what you've done is wrong. And you know that if you turn around and do well, things will go well for you. This is true in our lives. When we have this opportunity to respond in sin or to respond in, in uh, pride or to respond in any other way that's not healthy for us, God is standing there warning us, be careful what you do. He, he looks to Cain and continues to say, if you do well, will you not be accepted? The answer is yes, of course you will. But he says this as a warning. And if you do not do well, he says, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you, Cain, you must rule over it. God comes to Cain, shows him the brokenness in his thinking, shows him the brokenness in the way he acted, shows him whatever thing was incorrect for him, and then tells him, now I want you to change directions. I want you to do well. I want you to do something better. I want you to try it again. But if you don't, sin is looking for you. It's, it's, in, it's incredible to, to see that this is the first time the word sin is used in the Bible. It's not the first sin, obviously, in the Bible. We know that's not true. And this is probably not the first sin that maybe Cain and or Abel has ever committed. That's not the issue. But for us readers, if you are following through this book, this is the first instance that sin is ever mentioned. And it's mentioned to be like a wild animal just waiting to devour someone if they were to, get, if they were to stir it up. See, anger can do that in us. Anger can cause us to stir up a sin in us that had been dormant, just waiting to be awakened. <laughs> and God warns Cain. And I would say he warns us. When we're angry, we have to do a couple things. We have to first ask God, um, what have we done that has caused us to become angry? When God goes to Cain and he says, listen, you knew what was supposed to happen. If you truly don't understand why you're getting angry, um, you need to go to God and ask him. To, to be honest with you, I was a person in my younger um, days, I struggled with anger a lot. I had, I had an emotion, it was anger. <laughs> I get frustrated and mad all of the time. And when I became a Christian, I began to, ask God, right, through the help of other people, uh, Jeff, why are you so angry right now? Why, what is causing you to be angry? And I began to, to look inside of my heart, if you will, and find out what was wrong. I began to look inside and find out what was driving me to frustration, to anger. And then most importantly, not only why am I getting angry, but how do I respond now that I'm angry? We have to learn to live a life that... Um, where, we, where we can encounter the, the emotion of anger and not sin in it. Just as King David said, be angry and do not sin. But how do we do that? We have to know what causes us to be angry and we have to know what to do next. Now, the apostle Paul, who had a lot to say about following Jesus, um, he wrote a lot of our New Testament books and there's a lot of prescriptions in there what a life that's devoted to Jesus looks like, what a life looks like that has a, a new heart inside of them. 
um, or us that beats with the affections and the passions of God. If we have been made new or born again, given the new heart, what does it look like for us to live this, this new life with God? And Paul says a lot about the new life or the new creation. And in the book of Ephesians chapter four, he says these words, starting here in verse 17. Now this I say, again, Paul speaking to Christians at Ephesus. I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's just saying, don't walk as an unbeliever. Okay. Remember those people who have stony hearts. Remember those people who don't have new hearts that beat with the affections and the passions of God. Don't live like them. Don't walk like them. Don't be like them. Don't be like them in their futility of their minds. Verse 18, for they are darkened in their understanding and they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance, ignorance rather, that is in them. And then he says these words, due to the hardness of their hearts. Paul is telling us, let's not act like that. Let's, let's remind ourselves that our hearts are not hard and stony anymore, that they are new and they are fleshy and they beat with the heart of God. Those people, he says in verse 19, have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, to uh, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He's saying they're just they're just debased in the way they live. They they sin in all things. But he says verse 20, but that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the tr- as the truth is in Jesus. He says here that we need to put off our old self the old way of thinking, the way that the non-believers think and act, put off the old self, which belongs to the former manners of life, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed, Paul says, in the spirit of your minds. That we put on this new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Many years ago, there was a, a saying that went around and it became quite popular in Christian circles and people made bracelets and it was this little four-letter phrase, WWJD, what would Jesus do, right? It was a real popular thing and sort of kitschy and fun to, to consider. Paul is making an allusion to that idea. We need to put on the new self, verse 24, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Paul writes elsewhere that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. If we want to look like God, we look to Jesus, who's truly righteous and holy and just in everything, and ask ourselves these questions. What would Jesus do in this situation? How should we respond? We should look to Jesus. Jesus got angry, so we can be angry, of course, but he never sinned in his anger. And Paul says we need to be renewed by the Spirit in us. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. And Paul's giving a little instruction into the church, the local church there. Listen, get along with one another, okay? If you're having issues, go talk it out. And here's why, because verse 26, he says, because you need to be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger, which I love. And then he says, and give no opportunity to the devil. Paul is talking like Paul is explaining to us that when anger comes to us, it's as if the devil himself is just lurking in the door, (laughs) hoping that we sin, hoping that we act in a way that's going to make matters worse. We don't want to do that. When anger comes to us, we're not going to let anger, right, overtake our day. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It just means deal with it. Deal with it today. I I think that's a a great thing um, to deal with it as soon as you can. But it's also to just remind yourself that you have an opportunity to live um, where your heart still drives towards the affections of God. Just because you're angry, and oh my gosh, this, this might be so helpful for some people. Just because you're angry, it, it doesn't give you a pass to sin. God would never want that for us. We, we have multiple opportunities throughout our whole day, our whole week, whatever, to sin. And God would never want us to sin. And anger is no excuse to sin. When you're angry, don't sin. When you're angry, go to God and ask him, what should I do? Take your mind back to the story of Cain and Abel when God intervened on Cain's behalf and says, you know what's right and wrong, right? If you don't know, go to God. God, why am I angry? Why is this bothering so much? And allow the Lord to show you, Jeff, you're angry right now because you're jealous of someone else. Jeff, you're angry right now because your pride got wounded. You're angry right now because what your wife just told you was true about you. And you don't like to hear the truth. And once we know why we're angry, then we can ask God, what do we do next? Just like he said with Cain, be careful what you do, because if you do well, it will go well for you. But if you don't, then sin is going to devour you. God, why am I angry? What is causing this? Look inside of me, reveal it to me. And God, what do I do next? What can I do? For, for me and for many of you, um, when I became a Christian and God really started to deal with the anger in my life, I found myself, <laughs> this just popped into my head, but I found myself talking to myself a lot. I would get angry and I'd begin to murmur, God, why am I so angry? And I would just, I just became, and I began to talk things through. Well, Jeff, you're angry because you, this didn't work out the way you thought it was going to. It's going to take more time than you thought. And I I would just mentally go through all of the things that were making me angry. And in so doing, I sort of talked myself off of the ledge, if you will. Rather than throw tools, everybody knows the guy that gets angry and throws things, right? Rather than do that, I learned to get up and take a short walk. Rather than call someone right back and to tell them what I thought, I would take a a breather, if you will. (laughs) So there are things that God has for us that we can do that would cause us not to sin. You just have to ask the Lord. The Spirit of God dwells inside of you. He has made available to us every power we need to overcome everything in our lives. He wants us to live the abundant life that Jesus has laid out for us. He started that by giving us a new heart, new passions and pursuits. 
new motivations. And then when we encounter issues in our life where we have the choice to sin or not sin, we just ask God, what do we do next? So I'll close in prayer and just ask God that he would come to us now and that he would even show us some of the areas of our lives that drives us to anger. And we'll confess them to God. God will be faithful and just to forgive us of these sins. And then he'll give us the way to move forward because there is a way to move forward and not sin. And it's the way of Jesus that we look to Jesus, the picture of God himself, the picture of holiness and righteousness, and we want to be like him. So let's pray together and ask God to show us our anger and show us um, how we're supposed to deal with it. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you that we can come to you um, much like uh, Cain in that story, that you're paying uh, paying attention to all of the things in our lives. And every once in a while, you'll come and you'll, you'll correct us. And so, God, we're asking, God, that you would correct us, like you came to Cain, that you would come to us and say, hey, this is not going to work for you any longer. I want you to change. You have an opportunity to do well, but if you don't do well, you're going to fall into sin. So, God, show us the way out. Lord, many of us in the room have to confess that we have used anger as an excuse to sin. And because your truth has been exposed to us today, we no longer have that liberty. And so, God, we're going to have to ask you to change how we view anger. That it's not sin in and of itself, but it does drive many of us to sin. So, God, you you have permission to now come into our lives and change the way we act that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to think differently, to say something that we weren't going to say in the first place, to change our attitudes, to give us the strength to get up and walk away, to take a breather, to hang up the phone before we say something we're not, we're not going, we're going to regret having said. God, we, we do not have the right to be angry at people all the time and to act sinfully because of that. God, you have truly empowered us to live a different life. And God, we want you to help us with that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless all of you. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.